by downloading or listening to this podcast. You are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. I'm Danielle Reed, and this is Focus on Finance. In today's episode, from Hong Kong, my co-host Jun Yang will talk with Alberto Postigo and Alka Anbarasu of the banking team about how banks are confronting climate risks, what the changes in costs are, and what it's doing to their business models. Jun, welcome back. It's been a few weeks. Hi, Danielle. It's great to be back. So Jun, Alberto and Alka have both published reports on climate change and what it means for bank credit. Alberto looking at banks globally, and Alka looking at banks in the Asia-Pacific region. Just at a high level, what is the main risk for banks from climate change? The main thing is asset risk. Uh, both reports talk about asset risks. Uh, it basically means a risk to a bank's loan quality. Obviously, there's a lot going on within this. Um, there are two types of climate risks to a bank's loan quality. First of all, if there, there's the risk of a physical climate shock, like flooding in an area where sea levels have been rising or a wildfire that can be related to climate change. And that sort of thing can cause direct monetary damage to individuals and companies, and obviously they can uh, jeopardize their abilities to repay de- their debt. Sure. In Asia, there's especially a risk for economies with uh, weaker infrastructure, such as the Philippines, Bangladesh, Vietnam, and India, uh, to name a few. And secondly, there's also risks from this global push to shift away from the use of fossil fossil fuels toward uh, carbon reductions. And that's what we call uh, carbon transition. Because if there's a big regulatory or policy push away from a carbon-intensive industry, and especially if that change happens fast, you could also see a shock on the loan side if banks are lending to the industry that's affected. Right, exactly. And timing is key, which is why the more banks are able to plan ahead now for change, the better it is for their credit. Thanks, Jun. We'll hear more about banks and climate risk in a few minutes. But first, we have Fast Finance, where Moody's analysts give their very short takes on finance-related topics in the news. Joining me right now from New York are Megan Fox and Steve Tu here to talk about the effects on banks and asset managers of the Biden administration's new executive order on climate-related financial risk. Megan and Steve, welcome back to Focus on Finance. Hi, Danielle. Happy to be back on the podcast. Uh, Thanks, Danielle. Always happy to join the show. Megan, the Biden administration just published an executive order that is designed in part to reduce climate-related financial risks. So first, What are those risks for banks? And second, how will the order help reduce them? Sure. Well, first, in general, we consider banks to have low environmental risks, um, primarily because their exposures are indirect through their loan portfolio and their investment portfolios. But even so, they do face both physical risks from the effects of climate change and transition risks uh, from the uh, transition to a low-carbon economy. And so certainly those risks will alter how banks um, uh, analyze their loan and investment decisions from a cost-benefit Uh, point of view. Right, I see. So what changes in the executive order then are going to help make the situation better? 
Well, importantly, the executive order calls for coordination among the different financial regulators that are members of the Financial Stability Oversight Council. And we think the uh, coordinated efforts to uh, consider uh, and analyze the climate-related financial risks will be positive because the the, uh, executive order directs them to uh, share data among the member agencies, to consider uh, different enhancements to regulatory and and financial disclosures, uh, and make recommendations on processes for climate risk identification and mitigation. So all said, uh, we think that including uh, these climate risks in um, regulatory oversight will help promote the creation of best practices. And so we think that would be positive for U.S. banks. Got it. Now, Steve, in your report, you said that asset managers will also benefit from this executive order. Can you explain how? Yeah, so the the executive order also directs the Department of Labor to consider suspending, uh, revising, or rescinding the existing DOL rule uh, from the previous administration, which was potentially limiting to ESG-focused investments in retirement plans. So this frees up asset managers handling uh, those types of assets, uh, and that's been a key growth driver in the industry. Uh, So ESG fund flows uh, have more than doubled in the U.S. in 2020, and they're still looking to be growing very strongly. Right. Now, your report on this also mentions that, uh, just as Megan said for banks, better disclosures are credit positive, and they're credit positive for asset managers in that they could help the asset management industry grow more in ESG investing. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we've always said that a couple things have been holding the industry back historically. One has been a skepticism of how ESG investments might underperform other investments. And then two has been the you know lack of uh, standardization and consistent disclosures in the space. So anything that helps, uh, you know, creating more transparency, disclosures, consistency on ESG standards uh, would help the, the space. And, and that would be a positive for AUM growth and, you know, would obviously be positive to asset flows and and the credit performance of companies involved here. Steve and Megan, thank you. For our second Fast Finance update, Sid Ghosh is now joining us to talk about some research he just published on the effects of the coronavirus pandemic on insurance companies. Sid, welcome. Thanks, Danielle. Glad to be here. So, Sid, your research covered some interesting legal issues for insurance companies around whether business interruption related to the pandemic gets covered or not. Business interruption, of course, comes into play when operations at a business can't continue as usual because of an external cause, right? That is correct. So here's my question. With business owners and insurance companies now in court over this very question of whether the businesses should be covered or not because the businesses were required by government mandates to shut down during the pandemic, how is that question getting resolved in courts around the world? You know, it's a good question. The uh, outcomes of these cases have been quite different in some of the major countries such as the U.S. and the U.K. For example, in the U.S., the state and federal courts have so far ruled largely in favor of the insurers, whereas in the U.K., the Supreme Court ruled in favor of policyholders in a test case that insurers should pay business interruption claims related to coronavirus, by the way, to some small and medium-sized businesses. So as far as the other regions are concerned, you know, there is still 
you know, a bit of uncertainty about how this issue will be resolved. I see. Sid, Megan, and Steve, thanks again for joining. Next up from Hong Kong, my co-host Jun Yang will talk with two banking team analysts, Alka Anbarasu in Singapore and Alberto Postigo in Madrid about climate risks to banks. Jun, over to you. Thanks, Danielle. Alka and Alberto, welcome to Focus on Finance. Hi, Jun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jun. Glad to be here. Alberto, I'll start with you. So you've written a report um, explaining the different ways that banks are exposed to uh, different climate risks and how that translates to um, specific credit risks for them. So first of all, how does climate change affect banks, especially in terms of um, their asset risks? In other words, uh, risks to um, their loan quality. Thank you. Well, I would say that recent challenges uh, for banks that arise from climate change are broader than just those which relate to portfolio asset risk. And this is because climate change is prompting significant structural changes to the global economy, which is leading to far-reaching implications for banks as uh, given their role as financiers of the global economy, which is fundamentally affecting the way they run their businesses and, and operations. But having said that and focusing now on portfolio risk, uh, well, it's true that climate change has the potential to affect the credit quality of loans and investments, and is therefore an area banks have to care about. Uh, when we think of physical climate risk like hurricanes, fires or floods, which moreover we expect to increase as a consequence of climate change, they can lead to property damage, disruption in business and supply chains, or an increase in insurance cost. All these factors affecting the credit quality of borrowers as well as the value of um, assets to which banks are exposed like buildings. A similar impact may arise from the transition to a low-carbon economy which can lead to write-downs or devaluation of carbon-intensive assets, shifting demand for goods and services, or higher operating and financing costs for carbon-intensive uh, industries. So, in, in short, all these factors have the potential to affect the credit strength of households and corporates to which banks lend to, and therefore affect the credit quality of loan portfolios. Uh, thanks for that overview. Uh, now let's zoom in on Asia-Pacific. Um, Alka, uh, your report looks uh, specifically at uh, climate risks for banks in the region. Um, in terms of physical climate risks, banks in which countries in Asia-Pacific are most vulnerable to these risks? Well, June, in Asia-Pacific, banks operating in economies with weak infrastructure, countries such as the Philippines, Bangladesh, Vietnam, India, Indonesia, are more susceptible to physical climate risks then say banks in large economies with well-developed infrastructure like Australia, Japan, and Korea, where those risks are somewhat low to moderate. Uh, also, agriculture is a key source of employment in many Asian countries where adverse weather conditions, uh, flooding, or uh, droughts hurt banks' asset quality quite frequently. Banks in the region have about 5-10% to 10 of their loans directly exposed to the agriculture sector, and indirectly their exposure would be much higher. And even in the large economies, we talked about Australia, natural disasters such as bushfires can lead to property damage that can hurt valuation of land in affected areas. I see. Uh, what about the risks of policies that move um, countries away from carbon-intensive industries? Where in the region are these risks going to be the greatest for banks um, in terms of effects on their uh, loan quality? 
again banks um, in emerging uh, economies in asia so countries like china bangladesh india indonesia philippines and vietnam have material exposures to sectors that pose high to very high credit risk due to carbon transition so some of these sectors include uh, aspects like coal mining coal fired power plants oil and gas industries the transportation industries steel plants chemical plants building materials amongst others banks in the region have about 15 to 20% of their loans exposed to those sectors so to that extent the loan exposures of banks is quite meaningful for example lenders to palm oil plantations in malaysia and indonesia the two countries which account for nearly 85% of the global palm oil production could face defaults by those producers that could lose business because of heightened global scrutiny on the deforestation by the industry i see Turning back to um, Alberto to talk about another category of risk for banks related to climate change. This is reputational and legal risk. Alberto, can you briefly explain what uh, reputational and legal risks uh, mean for banks in the context of climate change? Yes, sure. Well, the exposure to reputational damage is very visible in multiple countries and, and regions because of the increasing relevance that bank stakeholders attach to climate change. And with stakeholders, I'm not only referring to investors, but also to customers and even bank employees. So in this context, banks that are perceived as not responding adequately to climate change may face customer backlash, franchise erosion, or difficulties in accessing funding markets. Uh, examples of how a reputational risk may crystallize uh, for banks include uh, through financing of activities which have a negative uh, climate impact or failing to set or meet climate commitments. Um, banks may even take decisions to preemptively avoid exposure to reputational risk by, for instance, cutting lending to polluting industries, even if loans to such industries are providing them with strong profits. The exposure to legal or conduct risk also increases as banks have to comply with climate regulation and standards which are new, they didn't exist a few years ago, and which moreover are increasing rapidly uh, across many geographies. Such regulation is very different from the typical financial regulations banks are used to, and it can be uh, very complex, requiring climate capabilities and knowledge that banks uh, have to build which involves high research and development costs, as well as the hiring of a specialized personnel. Got it. Turning back again to Alka, uh, for some specific examples of this, I think in your report, uh, you said that legal and reputation risks for Asia-Pacific banks are also growing, right? That's right, June. So asset risks from uh, transition to carbon neutrality are somewhat limited for banks in the region. Much of the region is uh, are composed of developing countries where economic growth is a greater priority for the governments and they inevitably need to rely on fossil fuels to achieve that. But legal and reputational risks to banks' climate policies are growing. Regulators, shareholders and lobbying groups are increasingly pushing banks towards sustainable finance. And a failure by banks to satisfy the demands can lead to legal consequences or hurt their reputation or could lead to both for banks in the region. Actually, I have a question for you, Alka. What about disclosures? 
are governments <clears throat> are governments in Asia Pacific or lobbying groups or bank shareholders, maybe even customers, pushing banks to disclose more about their climate risks? What are you seeing around that um, in the region? Beyond that, uh, several Asia-Pacific countries have been advancing guidelines and regulations for sustainable finance, as well as disclosure requirements related to climate risk. Also, several banking regulators uh, in countries like Hong Kong, Japan, Korea, uh, and Australia have announced plans to conduct climate-related stress tests to assess the implications of climate change on financial stability. We think complying with new regulations could be particularly challenging for Asia-Pacific banks that operate in multiple countries because they are likely to be subject to inconsistent and possibly conflicting rules from, say, the country which is their home country versus the countries where they operate. Got it. Alka, Alberto, Jun, Megan, Steve, and Sid, thank you all very much for your insights and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. To read any of the reports referenced in this podcast, you can click on the link for this episode at about.moody's.io forward slash podcasts. And please tune in again on Wednesday, June 16th for the next episode of Focus on Finance. Mm-hmm.